Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Dan Rogers at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Special welcome to all the kids who are joining us for the whole of our service, our message today. Uh, It's fantastic to have you guys here. I'm going to do my best to keep it a little shorter this morning, and I really hope that you can follow along with us because the Word of God is for you guys just as much as it is for us. And I know that God can and does speak to you guys. I know that. I've seen it down at MPK, and so I pray and I hope that He does exactly that this morning. Today we're going to be continuing on in our series, Extravagant Love, as we look at what is an incredibly encouraging passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. See, Paul writes this passage because he wants you to know that God is with you, that he loves you, he's for you, and there's nothing in the world that can change that. He means that there is nothing that can change that. You know, I remember the first time uh, we went to India with Jonathan on a mission trip in 2017. Sebastian would have been about, as my son, would have been about maybe one and a half, maybe two, somewhere around there. We bought this special carrier for him called a Dragonfly Baby Carrier. It's a big fancy name, but it was also a lot of money. It was like $250 for this cloth thing that held a baby, right? It's crazy. I'm telling you, if you want to open up a business, get into the baby market. Out of guilt, people will pay anything, I promise you, for the first one. Probably not for the fifth one. Nobody cares by then. But definitely for the first one. There's easy money in this. We paid a lot of money. I think we used it five times. And and then I think we gave it away. Well, what can you do? Anyway, we buy this $200 baby carrier. And everywhere we go around India, Seb would just be chilling in this thing, just taking it all in. It's a lot of money, but I'm going to be honest with you. It was really worth it because it gave us such a peace of mind. See, I don't know if you've been to India, but I think it's fair to say there's a lot of people, like a lot, a lot of people in this. It's not a small country, but there's like a billion of them, all right? So there's a lot of people. It's kind of easy to lose people. They made a whole movie out of it. So one day we, we go to the markets, a bunch of white people looking completely lost. We had Jonathan, our fearless leader, showing us the way and keeping us safe, right? There's like 10,000 people around us going about their day. The streets were just packed. It was crazy. And there's Seb, just chilling on my chest. I think he slept through half of it. They've got mopeds driving by. got horns beeping at us constantly because that's a thing in India. You just beep just to say hello or to say I'm coming through or just because you haven't beeped for a little while. You just beep constantly, right? And he's just there and he's just asleep. But here's the thing, I guarantee you that if I was to put my son in the middle of all of that chaos by himself, I guarantee you he'd be freaking out. Be honest with you, my son isn't particularly brave, right? He sees a cockroach walking by and absolutely loses his mind. He will scream and say, Dad, I'm going to die, there's a cockroach, okay? So I have to come in and squish it and throw it out and it's just who he is, okay? But here he is. Wandering the streets of Bangalore, we've got cars and cows and crazy stuff going on everywhere, and he's completely at peace, asleep. Now, why is that? How could he be completely at peace? Well, it's because dad was there. 
That I know that if dad is there, that I'm safe, I'm secure, I don't have to worry about everything that's going on around me, even though all of that was completely new for him, because dad's got this, and he's holding on to me. That's kind of like a parable of Romans chapter 8. So kids, if you remember nothing else, you could have might already switched off, I hope not. But if you remember nothing else, remember that. That's a picture of Romans chapter 8, that God is holding on to us, that he's got this. And so we're safe in his hands with peace, hope. That's a picture of Romans chapter 8. But we're going to unpack it more together. But before we do that, why don't we read it together? Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all those things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Fantastic. It's an amazing passage of scripture. It's incredibly encouraging. But the first thing that we've got to ask ourselves is right there in that first verse. What are these things? Paul says, what shall we say in response to these things? So what are these things? Because they're going to shape everything that comes out of it. You've got to understand that this is the culmination of everything that Paul has been talking about since the beginning of chapter 5. It's the climax of his argument. So if we want to understand it rightly, we're going to have to put it in context. So here's my best attempt to try to summarize Romans chapter 5 through 8. This is Paul's argument. Because we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. Hope for eternity in Jesus. We receive death through Adam, but life through Christ. God's grace is incredible. Does that mean that we should abuse it? Absolutely not. We died to sin that we might come alive in Christ. So how could we possibly go back to live in sin? This is chapter 6. When our longest slaves to sin, we've been freed to live for Jesus. We now obey him. We're not bound to the law anymore. We're bound to Jesus. But that's not to say that the law is bad. The law is actually good. It reveals the depth of our sin and shows us just how desperately we need Jesus. It's chapter 7. It condemns us, but only because it's beyond us. And yet now that we're in Christ, start of chapter 8, that condemnation is gone. It's been swept away by the perfect life and sacrifice of Jesus. He set us free from the law of sin and death. The flesh brings death, but the spirit brings life. 
That same spirit has taken up residence in us and marks us not as slaves, but as sons and daughters of the Most High King, which is incredibly good news. All of that simply overwhelms the sufferings that's all around us, the brokenness of our world, gives us hope in the midst of it. And here we go. Three of the most significant and beautiful verses in all the scripture, the three verses that come right before our passage this morning. And we know that in all things, not just some things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. As Jesus was glorified, so we will also be glorified. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, what shall we say in response to these things? That. I mean, you read that and you cannot help but come to the conclusion, this God is for us. He loves us more than we really understand. It is gracious and kind and faithful and good. And if all of that is true and he really is with us and for us, then who could possibly stand against us? Possibly stand against us. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I can think of a fair few actually. It's my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law, by the way, but it's a good example. It's my mother-in-law. It's my boss. The kid at school who bullies me constantly. It's my atheist neighbor that hates my guts and, you know, constantly yelling at me. The Satan, the accuser. I mean, I can think of a fair few, and I can, I can keep going. There's a fair few people who are against me. Well, it's so tempting to think that Paul is just throwing this out there as some kind of pithy statement. Well, he didn't really mean that, it just sounds nice. No, he meant it. And it's not like he was inexperienced about hardship. In fact, I put to you, he probably endured more than any other person in this room. The guy was beaten, tortured, imprisoned, and ultimately executed for his faith. He knew what it meant to suffer for the gospel. He wasn't naive. And yet here he is saying, if God is for us, Who could possibly stand against us? A picture for Paul here in prison, writing this. So here's the thing. There's a connection between the view that you have of God and the hope this verse actually brings. The greater your view of God, the more amazing this verse is. I mean, let's be honest. If I have a low opinion, low view of God, then this doesn't do a whole lot for me. If he's just some kind of distant, weak, cold-hearted being, then what Paul is saying is meaningless. So what if he's for us? He's not good. So what matter? Who cares? And yet if you flip that, and if you see God for who he is, the creator and the sustainer of all things, the one who was and is and is to come, this is incredible. Brings much hope. The God of the universe, the same being who breathed out the stars, is with me. In fact, he's for me. 
He's my shield and my fortress, my ever-present help in time of need. No one compares to him. Nothing even comes close. So if he's with me, it means that even in the darkest of moments, I have hope, genuine hope, of a peace that goes beyond all understanding. You know, as I was prepping for this, one of the things that I felt the Lord said to me is that some of you flip this. And if you're honest and you would assess your own heart, you don't think that God is for you. You actually think that he's against you. You've got people around you that are for you, that are supporting you, but not God. No, he's holding out on you. I mean, I don't know why that is. Maybe you prayed for something and it didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to. And so you're, you're disappointed in God because he let you down. Maybe you feel like there's just this hole in your life. You're trying to start a family. You, you, you're looking for a spouse or for a job and you, you haven't seen it come to fruition. And so you start to doubt the goodness of God. Paul wants you to know. If you're ever in doubt that God is for you, if your circumstances are so dark, so incredibly bleak, that you're struggling to see the goodness of God, all you have to do is fix your eyes on the cross. Because on the cross, we see the agape love of God, the perfect, divine, self-sacrificial, self-giving love of God on display for all the world to see. It's so easy to think that God is holding out on us. I don't know why that is. Something about the brokenness of the human heart, after everything that he's done, that we would so easily doubt. He's not for us. He's holding out on us. He doesn't really care. But God proved his love, his generosity, proved that he is for you. And what's more than anything, to lead you into life and to bless you by giving us his one and only son. Proved it, settled it for all time. That's God's heart for you. There is no greater sacrifice. And I don't want you to think that this was some kind of cosmic child abuse. Now, Jesus said, I lay down my life only to pick it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm doing this out of love for you. Paul is trying to help you understand if he was willing to pay that price, if he was willing to go that far and give us his son, do you really think that he'd turn around and hold out on us? It just doesn't line up with the character of God and what we've seen about him and what he's revealed, that he gave us the very thing that's most precious to him. Now, why would he do that and then say, but nah, but I couldn't be bothered giving that, it's just too much. That proves to us, it shows us that God isn't holding anything back. He went to the very end for us. I'm not saying that God always says yes. Kids get this. Every kid here would know. My parents love me, but that doesn't always mean that they say yes. I say no all the time because he asks for really dumb, dumb things. And so I say, no, you can't have ice cream at 5.30 in the morning. No. Kids get this, but somehow we lose this. I'm saying that God is for you, that he's not holding out on you. He's already given you the greatest gift this world has ever seen. He gave you Jesus. This is what John Stott says. 
God did not spare his own son and did not mitigate the severity of the sentence in any way whatsoever. The son himself, agreeing with the father in the spirit and all of this, he, the son, fully bore that horrendous curse, that is sin, that he drank the cup of unspeakable agony and shame to the very last drop. So that beautiful old hymn really is true. That bitter cup, love drank it up. It's empty now for me. That's the heart of God for us. See, on the cross, God justified us. I know that's a bit of a, a Christianese word. Kids, I want you to listen, because this is for you, right? This is, this is amazing, justified. Some people remember this with this little saying, just as if I'd never sinned, right? Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. But it's actually so much more than that. On the cross, Jesus didn't just take my sin and shame. He gave me the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus. So when the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my brokenness. He sees the perfection of Jesus. That's what it means to be justified by God. That he alone is judge. That his voice is the only one that matters. And in his courtroom of justice, he's already declared me to be righteous. Innocent. Because of the blood of Jesus. Because he paid the price that I should have. So what could you possibly say? What charge could you possibly bring that would supersede his voice? No one has more authority. No one's voice matters more. So if Jesus says, this one's with me, church, it means you're free. Free from condemnations. That's Romans 8.1. Free forever. Free. It's an incredible gift. You know, I think one of the best indicators to whether or not we really get this is actually what we do when we sin. And I know that's a little ironic. But you could do a bit of a test on your own self, what you do when you sin. I speak to a lot of Christians that live in this perpetual cycle that goes something like this. They, they mess up. I mean, we all do. They mess up. And because of that, they feel incredibly guilty and, and, and ashamed. And they just kind of ignore God for a little while. They just avoid him till the whole thing blows over. And then when they feel a little less guilty, they come back before God and they go, man, I'm really sorry. Like, God, I really messed up this time. I'm so sorry. Because somehow in our minds, it's almost like God has cooled off a little bit. Like he won't be as angry with us because there's some distance between us and our sin. But look at me. That is so dumb. That doesn't make any sense at all. That sin has been paid for. It's gone. The grace of God doesn't come and go. You don't go from being justified to unjustified to justified again. That's just not how it works. This is what John 8 says. The Son sets you free. You are free indeed. It's done, finished. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions, your sins from you. You cannot undo what God has done because it wasn't about you or your good works in the first place. And it was and is and always will be about the grace and mercy of God. That's why we get 
into verse 35 and Paul can say something as incredible as this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness, danger or sword, as it is written for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not through your good works, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wants you to know that God has got this. Salvation isn't about us clinging to God. It's about him holding on to us. Put it to you in another way. That our relationship isn't built on the foundation of our love and faithfulness. It's built on his love and faithfulness. That's incredibly good news. Because unlike you and me, God is actually faithful. Never changes never goes back on his word. Faithful. You can trust him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Not trouble or hardship, which almost seem like the same thing. One's talking about an inner struggle, inner distress, and the other one's talking about like outward hardship, our circumstances. Not trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Now, all of that is a reality because of the brokenness of our world. And it's so tempting to see it as evidence that God has abandoned us, but Paul wants you to know that it's just not true. Just not true. That even in your darkest moments, God is there. He's there. And we cannot allow our circumstances to shape our view of God, that he is good always, even if our circumstances aren't. And there will be times in life when it's dark and your circumstances are not God. Not good, sorry. That does not change who God is. He never promises us an easy life. He promises to walk it with us. Which is why we get to the end And Paul says, none of that should come as a surprise to us. Danger, sword, nakedness, famine, poverty, none of it. Jesus said, in this world, you will find trouble. That's why Paul goes off on a bit of a tangent and quotes Psalm 44. He wants you to know that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. That it always has been for the people of God. You serve the king in a world that wants nothing to do with him. And you're going to face trouble and hardship. It's been that way for 4,000 years. He's quoting Psalms, Old Testament. 4,000 years. So why would we be surprised when it happens to us? Nakedness, danger, sword, trouble, persecution, hardship. All of that is a reality in our world. And yet none of it changes who God is. None of it means that he's abandoned us and none of it can undo what God has done. None of it can separate. He's for us. So even in those things, God is at work. That's why Paul says that we're more than conquerors. We don't just overcome these things by the grace of God. We come out the other side and we see how God has used them for our good. 
And that's his promise in verse 28. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. All things. Even the darkest of times. And it doesn't mean that horrible things suddenly become good. Paul is saying that God uses those things to teach us. And to draw us close, to reveal himself to us, and to mold us into the image of Jesus, to sanctify us. And so in some way, he redeems those things. He gives them purpose. So that we can come out of the darkest of situations and go, man, that really sucked. But you know what? And I love Jesus more. I know Jesus more. I've seen more of who he is. Look at the good that he's done in my life. Look at what he's done in me. It's powerful. This is hope in the darkest of circumstances. And nothing can undo what God has done. Nothing can separate us from his love or snatch us out of his hand. So Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, present, the future, nor any powers, the height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Do you get it? Like he's trying to go out of his way to help you. Nothing. Put it in all capitals. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Truly God's love is inseparable. And I pray that as you hear that, as you grab hold of that, I pray that it would give you hope. I pray that it would give you peace no matter your circumstances. It's been good bad, times or bad, but to know that God is there it changes everything. But I pray that you would know that here and it would give you hope and it would give you peace this Christmas. To know that God is with you. Now, your circumstances do not determine the character of God. It's still for you, still working for your good. You can turn to him even in the darkest of times and know that he's there. It's his promise. Let's pray. Jesus, how grateful we are for who you are, for the love that you have for us. How grateful we are, Jesus, that it is not about us in any way, but that our security, our hope is found in your faithfulness, not in ours. And the reality that you are holding on to us and that you've got this. Jesus, I just pray life has a way of beating our vision of you out of us, beating this goodness, constantly bombarded by by horrible things and and the the brokenness of our world. It has this way of twisting our vision that we don't see you for who you are. We struggle to see through the darkness to get a clear vision of who you are and it changes the way that we approach you. A terrible way. And so I pray, Jesus, give us a fresh vision of who you are. May we know your goodness afresh. May we know that even in the darkest of moments that you are there and that you are for us. And may that give us hope and peace. This I pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.